just as much as somebody might have a repulsion to the idea of being a victim, I think if not carefully examined, that person then can have a over-identification or a lust with being a superhero. Welcome to The Shift, where we search for ways to do better by thinking better. Whether you're going through a major life change, looking to deepen your understanding of yourself, or hoping to improve your relationships with others, The Shift is here for you. We're your hosts, Isla and Yashar, an endlessly curious sister and brother team. As certified brain-based executive coaches with backgrounds in medicine and management, we combine the neurosciences, performance psychology, strategic planning methodology, and mindfulness techniques to empower your transformation from the inside out. Join us in conversation as we explore better ways to show up for ourselves and each other. Welcome back to The Shift, friends. This is part two of a two-part series that we've been trying to investigate with you. So last week, we started the conversation with the question, do you need to stay small to be loved? We looked at the relationship with victimhood as a mindset and what that means for our ability to grow, thrive, and manifest the type of life we want to live, but more importantly, to become the person that we want to become. In that same vein, the question we are investigating today on part two of this episode, which is, do you need to stay strong to be loved? So like I said, in the first episode, we talked about the need to stay small in certain dynamics because our light intimidates or is too bright for some partnerships, relationships, dynamics, and that innately tells our neuropathways that it's not safe to grow. But that could also look like in relationships needing to always be strong on top of it. And we will only be loved in those relationships when we are the savior of the group. And so that is what we want to discuss today. So Yash, how do you feel about our second question in conjunction with our first? Where's your mind at? The reason I wanted to do this part two is because it's required to speak about the individual who feels that they have to have it all put together all the time and they don't allow themselves into a place of vulnerability, or perhaps they don't feel like there's space in their lives, in their relationships, where they can be vulnerable, where they can let their hair down, so to speak, where they can say, hey, I don't got this. I don't know the answer. I don't know how to do this. I feel scared. I feel weak. I feel tired. And just as much as somebody might have a repulsion to the idea of being a victim, I think if not carefully examined, that person then can have a over-identification or a lust with being a superhero, Mm -hmm. with being the idea that, no way, I pull up my own socks, I figure it out. This is all about how I show up to the world, which is great. However, nobody is whole without experiencing all the emotions that come with being a human and being able to connect to at least one other person, if not multiple other people, in that wholeness. And so we may look down upon the first episode of this two-part series of someone who's a victim, but somehow we then over-celebrate people who show up as heroes 24-7. And I don't think that's healthy. And I don't think that leads to prosperous relationships because either to broadly categorize what can happen is the person that never really fully expresses how they feel and never really understands the connection points with the other emotions and therefore blows up 
when something goes wrong, but really it comes from a place of not feeling seen or heard in their weakness. Or number two, they take all this basically to the grave and their body will get sick and break down and it'll never fully even be recognized as the overexpression of I have it all figured out all the time as the cause of the illness, unless there's some exploration. And so either way, we have a maladaptive response to something that is celebrated and the badge of honor now moves from how much am I oppressed? How much am I hurt? How much am I a victim? Episode one to how much am I none of those things? And I can run through brick wall 24 mm-hmm. seven. Okay. So before we go forward, let's anchor it. In episode one, when we talked about this question of, do I need to stay small to be loved? We identify that it can manifest in our lives as people pleasing. It can show as self-gaslighting. It can show us symptoms of anxiety, PTSD even, constantly self-doubting oneself, not being able to stand in your power, take space, feeling you're not worthy in the majority of your relationships or parts of your lives. So that's what that looked like. Anything else that you would add, Yash? Yes, we talked about how when we are in this victim mindset, we have an external locus of control, which means that we are at the mercy of our environment, of the people that fate and luck have more bearing on our lives than we have control over ourselves and our own lives, which then makes us focus more on the past victimizations that we've been going through. It makes us then feel as though that we are constantly looking to be recognized for the pain. And then we enter this moral elitism or this moral high ground where our pain and my pain and my in-group pain is more valid and more necessary a focus than other people's pain, which brings down a level of empathy. So in the extreme senses, when we don't check ourselves with this feeling, we end up actually disconnecting further and further from people, which really, as we discussed in episode one, the whole genesis of this is we didn't feel connected or recognized for our pain. So we envelop ourselves in a self-fulfilling prophecy almost if we don't cut it or break the cycle of this type of thinking. Absolutely. So when we were saying that again, we want to recognize that the pain is valid, but we wanted to offer tools to not stay in relationships and dynamics that only thrive when you're small. And like we said, on the other side of that coin, we don't want you to be only in relationships that require you to be strong. So again, what does it look like when you believe you need to stay strong to be loved? Let's anchor that now. So that could look like control, perfectionism, inability to rest, stay silent, stop, inability to show vulnerability, inability to show up whole. So that might look like fragmenting pieces of yourself that you believe are bite-sized enough that people can handle. And ultimately believing that showing any sort of softness is a weakness. And that again comes from the imprints, the messaging that you have received through culture, through society, through relationships and family. And that's the one we are trying to break down today. Do you need to stay strong to be loved? If you do an inventory of your relationships, which dynamics, which partnerships, which spaces require you to be this force field of strength? Where are you not allowed to be soft? Where are you not allowed to rest? Where are you not allowed to be vulnerable? And is that serving your highest good? I really want it to be stated, just like, again, in our first episode, the and conversation was imperative to say, 
you were a victim and I want you to thrive. And this one, the and conversation is about, I know this was created within you to stay safe. And I want you to create safety outside of this dynamic within yourself and your partnerships. I know most of this is scar tissue. We all have it because this force field was created because we believe this is the only way we would stay safe is in our strength. And in most situations, when it first evolved, it was true. But now when we're trying to empower you with new tools, when we're trying to shift your mindset, when we're trying to build those muscles to show up whole and actually thrive, we have to investigate this further and see when is it serving us? When is it not? And how can we find our strength in our vulnerability to see that resting is not weakness and to dismantle some of these notions we've been taught even through our hustle culture, that stopping is unproductive, that resilience only looks like power and force. These are all misguided concepts that need to be dismantled. And because our work is in leadership, we see this a lot where leaders believe this is the only way to be a leader. So a lot of our work is dismantling this idea, these notions It requires an unlearning to show what leadership can look like in different lights. It can show up in having different types of conversation. When we talk about even conflicts or challenges at work, this old mentality of this unshakable leader does not serve us. So we try to present and explore what leadership can look like in a new light. And so I want to share a story that on the surface may seem like it's completely irrelevant to the conversation we're having, but it ties into the theme that I'm trying to express when it comes to this other side of the coin about relying on your own individual strength and trying to power through things as opposed to leaving space and room for what strength can look like outside of the traditional sense. And it's a story about when I was a drummer in a band. And I remember we were playing these songs, we were writing these songs, And there were parts of these certain songs that I would start to hit the drums a lot harder. And I caught myself doing that. And I had this recognition where I'm, why am I hitting these drums so much harder at these particular parts of these songs? And it wasn't after a few times of doing this where I recognized it's because I'm trying to solve a problem, but using the drums was the wrong tool. I was hearing a melody. I was hearing guitar parts. I was hearing sections of the song that I wanted to be added that weren't being produced by my bandmates. And so instead of stopping recognizing that and communicating it, I just started hitting things harder, trying to add to this part. So this is an example that on the surface may not seem relevant, but what I'm saying is I used more strength. I did what I do more. I hit the drums harder to produce something, but it would never work because I was hearing melodies. I was hearing sounds. And so what I had to do is I actually had to stop. I had to actually stop playing altogether, ask the band to stop playing and say, I'm hearing and feeling things that are not coming through in the music. I don't know how to play those notes on your guitars or sing those notes as the vocals, but let me explain what I'm feeling and hearing. And through a lot of weird noises that came out of my mouth and through a lot of patients with the bandmates, they heard my vision, then they tried things out and notes were created and the unison in those parts of the song were brought together. And I could go back to just doing my part well while they did their parts well as well. And so 
this is an example of where I think sometimes when we know something about ourselves, we have a certain gear, we have a certain ability, we double down on that, but it's not necessarily going to produce the results that we're hoping to produce. And when we get stuck in that mode, then we actually end up not hearing not only ourselves, but then hearing others because we're not allowing them to have input in the situation. So my big lesson there, and the lesson I find in individuals who maybe grind and push as a way of being is if we can stop and ask ourselves, what is it that we're feeling? What is the discord? What is the, the missing parts? And how am I adding more discord by doing what I do harder and stronger and faster? And what alternative is there? How can I communicate what I'm feeling more clearly so that the team and the people around me can add to the scenario? And in a situation outside of the music room, if you will, it could look like I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling like I have to have the answers to everything. I'm feeling like I don't know what's next and that feels scary to me. And how can we create room and space for this to be explored, either as an individual or as a team or as a partnership so that there's more nuance to this conversation. And so that with this rest, in fact, comes more cohesion and comes more strength and comes more opportunity to solve what is the problem at hand. As I tell you the story and as an example to illustrate what doubling down on strength and doubling down on the tools we already have in our toolbox may not always lead to the answer we're looking for. Does that make sense as a metaphor for the conversation we're having? Absolutely. I think what it shows up for me is this is what traditional leadership looks like and the type of leadership we try to teach, which what I heard in the shifted model of how you showed up was what we call connect before you correct, which was that moment, that pause, that conversation of understanding what is actually happening before you're just trying to like a force field do something without any clear direction. And for you in that moment was just banging harder, which isn't going to really create a solution in that, in that problem. So I heard connect before you correct, which is one of our main principles we teach to allow you to step into what vulnerability could look like in a leadership role. The other thing I heard, which we also teach is co-create your reality, which is again, a key leadership trait. We teach, you know, the new way we lead which is realizing that an optimized team is a co-created team. And again, that's what vulnerability looks like in that setting. So it's not coming in, answer ready, know it all. It's actually saying, I'm thinking this, I feel this, I want this, I'm not sure how to do this. How can we do this together? Allowing each individual department, or in your case, you know, artists do their part to bring together the composition, the way it will sound best. And so I think it's a great example because again, when we're talking about you don't need to be strong, this is strength. I think some people just go to this place that like, you want me weeping at board meetings? It's like, no, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that we are built on a traditional structure of what leadership looks like, that you have to have all the answers. You have to be answer ready. Everything is by force, you know, this like stick carrot scenario. And we just really know none of this serves us. In this day and age, wherever we look, we realize that it's time to dismantle these systems. <laughs> and so we're saying, hey, how does a human lead? How does a healthy human lead other people? Knowing we all come in with our own strengths and weaknesses, knowing we're all here and able to learn from one another 
knowing that both my strength and my vulnerability are what make me unique and important to this conversation and ultimately creating spaces where we can show up whole in both episode one and now two, when we're discussing these concepts is because we know that ultimately we've been put in so many places and dynamics where we're showing up fragmented versions of ourselves that are not aligned with our higher purpose, not aligned with the version of us that we are most proud of because they are playing off old dynamic and old systems that are not serving anyone. So I guess with these questions, we're just ultimately asking what relationships or dynamics or situations and places do you feel that you need to say small? And in this episode, what are the places where you feel like you have to show up only strong? And we're asking, is there space to dismantle this a little bit, to unlearn some of this learning that doesn't serve you in the long term and replace it with tools that allow you to show up whole. So let me call out the biggest mind shift here. And that is we are not pitting strength against vulnerability. We're in fact saying vulnerability is strength. When we are uncomfortable in a situation and we face it, that by definition then is pulling on your strength, pulling on your courage, allowing yourself to wrestle, to interact, to have a moment of deliberation with something that is difficult by definition is strength. We're expanding this definition in this episode by asking, do you feel like you have to stay strong in the typical sense to be loved? And is there an opportunity to expand the definition of strength, which includes vulnerability, which includes, as Ayla, you said, co-creation and clear communication and allowing for the whole experience to have a place so that you can stay in deeper connection, in deeper love, in deeper innovation, in deeper connection. That is the upgraded version of the question. And so before we go into any other examples or questions to do this work, one has to be willing to say, yes, I want to explore an expanded version of strength, which includes vulnerability, which includes parts of myself that are not maybe as well articulated or understood, but I'm going to this space to actually understand myself and my dynamics with the people around me better. And therefore that ultimately will make me stronger. There is a more solid foundation from which I step into my life, my relationships, my business with. So with the first episode, we try to ground the conversation in starting with getting to know yourself in this new light. Both questions are phrased in connection with somebody else to be loved is ultimately talking about belonging and connection. But in order for us to get to those relationships, those partnerships, that community, first, we have to know that version of us so we can show up as that and then ideally align with the individuals that allow us to thrive and grow and bloom alongside them. So that means first, we have to get to know ourselves in this new light. Like I said, at the end of the first episode, we asked a series of questions. If you've yet to listen to them, please go back and explore that part of you. In this episode, I'll ask you a couple of questions to get to know this other side of you. So the first thing I'll ask you is, when does it feel safe to be soft? Who is around you? What are the conditions that allow you to rest? When do you see strength in your vulnerability? What are you doing different to allow for that? 
What does compassionate leadership look like to you? What does it mean to be a quiet leader? What are the parts of yourself that you would love to explore or show, but you feel that they won't be understood? When is a time in your life you were vulnerable that made you proud of yourself? What does safety look like? What does it feel like? And who are the people, places, situations, or partnerships in your life where you are able to show up whole? I thank you for joining us for these two episodes as we've been exploring these topics with many layers, with many nuances. We'd love you to join the conversation with us and add whatever insights you have. We've been trying to understand the dynamic of our relationships with others, but ultimately it's the relationship with ourselves. We are very well aware that there are so many imprints that come to us from our childhood, from society, from our relationships. Our job is to not only recognize them in our self-awareness, but also empower our personal accountability of where we can shift because we know nothing shifts unless you shift. So together, we hope to bring some light, change our mindset, and ultimately build our toolbox to optimize our growth. Thank you for listening, friends. What shifted for you during this episode? We'd love to hear your insights. Write us with any questions, commentary, or episode ideas at theshift@mindshiftleadership.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would deeply appreciate a like and subscribe. The Shift is brought to you by MindShift Leadership, a heart-centered, evidence-based, mindset-powered leadership company, empowering you with the training to prioritize mental health, inclusion, and performance optimization.